As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined as always by my friend and colleague Paul Tenorio. Paul, this is the first time we've ever recorded this podcast in the same room. How about that? It is. It's a little bit weird. Usually I'm looking at you through a computer monitor. and Now you're just looking right into my we eyes. Are, we are separated by like three feet and that's if it. If that. We'll, we'll move closer as the show progresses. Yeah, you, you guys will pick up on the vibe. I'm sure. <laughs> we are in Qatar, Qatar, excuse me, uh, in our apartment outside of central Doha. We're about, what, 20, 25 minutes away from the skyline, from the corniche, from the water, from all that fancy stuff that you are going to be seeing on television here very shortly. The U.S. men's national team trained for the first time almost in full on Monday. We are recording on Tuesday morning, Qatar time. Paul... What's been the vibe for you? What would have been your early impressions? We both got here on Sunday night, so we're, we're working on about, what, 36 hours that we've been on the ground here? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's important to note that I don't think we have a really good impression yet of what this country is going to be like once the World Cup starts. I mean, we are here early. There are journalists here for sure, but we haven't started to see the full transformation of this country um, with the you know million fans that are expected to arrive here. It's a small country. It's a small place. Yep. Um, and I think we have not even had a taste of what is set in store in just a few days when fans probably, I'm guessing, are going to start to arrive on Friday ahead of the first game on Sunday. The U.S. plays on Monday. Um, and so keeping that in mind, you know, I think what stands out is that you can see all of the construction that has taken place, that is still taking place to try <laughs> yeah. to prepare this country for the tournament. Um, you know, our colleagues are staying at a hotel. We are not. We're staying at the with the U.S. soccer program, media program. Um, but our, our colleagues are staying at a hotel in Doha that was literally finished days ago. Like a week before they arrived. Um, you know, they're the first couple guests ever to stay in the hotel. You know, Felipe Cardenas got there and he said he thinks he's literally one of two people at they, the hotel. They right knew now. his name in the lobby. They were like, oh, hello, Felipe. Would you <laughs> like a coffee? <laughs> so... You know, this, this is very much um, exactly what we expected in that sense. You know, there are things that you can look around and see, and you can see the new buildings, the new 
areas that people are going to be staying in, living in. You can see people literally working construction as you know we are now arriving here. Um, and then, of course, there are the stadiums, right? We've seen multiple stadiums just driving around the town because they are all so close. Um, and it's just a reminder that this World Cup is totally different than anything anyone has ever experienced before. This is our first World Cup. Yeah. But, you know, when you talk to people, I mean, with, in Russia, you're taking flights between cities to get to different stadiums. Same with Brazil. Here, Which were disasters in their own right in sure. some cases. Yeah. Sure. And here it's it's a, a few minutes drive from one stadium to to the other. So um, it, it's going to be a really, really interesting uh, experiment, experience. Mm -hmm. uh, to see what it's like for so many people to be in such a small country and in such a small area at the same time. Yeah. And I, just to hammer that home, and we have not even gone into central Doha yet. There is a lot that we have not seen, but the things that we have seen, we're kind of out in the outskirts of the city. Everything here is brand new. We're staying, like Paul said, in the U.S. soccer media program apartments. That means our accommodations were arranged by the Federation. We pay for them. Don't worry. We're not propagandist chills. On, on the on U.S. Soccer's dime, we do pay for them. Um, but right below our our units are a KFC and a Krispy Kreme that are just opened, brand new. Everything here is it's concrete, it's cement. Like you said, Paul, things are still under construction. We got on we got off the bus yesterday, coming back from a grocery store, and we were handed flyers from a small market that was opening tomorrow, Wednesday. Yeah, yeah. So you know they we, were they were inviting saying, Please, us come come to the store that opens tomorrow. Just finished getting built, so <laughs> it, it's all new. It's like a country is being unboxed for this specific moment in time, and of course there is a lot that goes along with that and colors that. Right, you walk around and it looks like there are people here from. All over the all over the world a lot of folks from Africa a lot of folks from Europe and I'm, I'm not talking about people here for the tournament I'm talking about people here who are working a lot of folks from South Asia um, and of course you know it's been well documented at this point a lot of those migrant workers who built all of this infrastructure or are building all of this infrastructure were treated pretty terribly and in many cases died and that is a huge part of the you know of this tournament and that shapes it and it colors it and it's important to keep in mind and it'll be interesting to see kind of how things progress on that front and on the gay rights front. Of course, male homosexuality is illegal here in Qatar. Um, women don't have basic rights that they do in places like the United States. Um, so it's going to be curious how those things kind of play out. We're already starting to sort of see it, Paul, with some of the, you know, Budweiser controversy that's currently going on they thought they were going to have placement in certain areas and it turns out they're shunted off to the side according to some new york times reporting because the qataris don't don't want it front and center alcohol of course is illegal here so all of those elements are going into it and we saw some of that at the u.s training facility yesterday on monday yeah, we went into uh, one of the auxiliary media rooms at the training facility where we're going to be doing today some interviews with players. We'll do interviews with players kind of every day in the lead up to that first game. And in that room, there is a U.S. soccer rainbow crest, the pride crest, um, as well Two as, of them, actually. as, as, well as um, some of the, the rainbow colors along the wall uh, for U.S. soccer. Um, they, they've worn that pride patch before with the pride numbers. We know that. Um, and in this case, uh, they wanted to include it here in Qatar. They're going to, you know, th this is not the only place it's going to be. They're going to fly a rainbow flag and, and uh, have the, those kits the crests, and colors, yeah. the crests at um, pre 
game parties for fans as well to show that that those parties are inclusive to all fans um, but it's not something that's you know it's a simple act but it's also not in the context of this tournament like they spoke to the Car qatari supreme committee to tell them that they were doing this not to ask permission but to tell them that they were doing it they spoke to fifa to tell them that they were doing it and you know they're i think that that this type of act goes you know, kind of straight in defiance of that letter that FIFA put out in which yeah. they said, let's make this all about football. Let's not make political statements. And we should be clear, like we know and U.S. soccer believes that this isn't a political statement, um, that this is that this is a statement about the fact that all people have rights and should have the rights to enjoy a tournament, to be who they are. Right. And, um, a and person's so, sexuality isn't a political belief. Right. Exactly. It's just what their sexuality is. Exactly. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I thought that that, you know, that, that we saw that on the first day that we were out working um, is indicative of just the fact that these are things that are going to, that we have to keep an eye on throughout the tournament and that, you know, where are people going to make those statements? Where are people going to, kind of grab hold of the, mm -hmm. of the platform. Um, and, and I think we've seen hints of it already from former players who are speaking in advance of the tournament, from current players. I mean, who are Hugo Lloris, the France captain. That, that their teams have ideas in mind, have plans in store. But Lloris, in, in his case, was saying, and, and he's worn, I think, a, a pride armband as captain of Tottenham in the Premier League. He's basically saying, like, you know, they have their beliefs and culture and tradition and like i'm going to go in and respect that like saying he wasn't going to make any sort of statement or anything like that so this will be an ongoing storyline i think throughout this tournament and i also want to note paul that you know i think there's a bigger discussion to be had here there's a lot of attention on cutter and rightfully so for some of these things that we've been talking about but a lot of countries have bad things going on in, in them. And a lot of those countries, like Russia or even the United States, in some instances, not to make a full equivalency there or anything, um, they host these tournaments. And so I think there's been a lot of attention on Qatar, but I think sometimes we, we should maybe open our eyes to things going on in other countries that host these games as well. So maybe a note for us for future coverage. Yeah, I mean, there's no doubt that um, when we talk about where international events have been held, the way FIFA has functioned in general in terms of awarding tournaments and, <laughs> um, you know, the corruption that's been laid out by the U.S. government. Seth Blatter, Blatter saying that he re he's like, yeah, this was a bad idea. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Regarding Seth. the hosting thanks, and cutter. Just on time, yeah, Seth. Excellent. Um, so... Yeah, it, it, it's it. But I think you know what what's notable is that it, it's going to be a part of of the narrative yeah. around this tournament as it should be, and it's it's going to be a part of the reporting around this tournament as it should be. Um, and you know, you can definitely find a lot of stories about it at the Athletic, um, and I think at other outlets as well. Mm -hmm. um, but it, it's certainly worth keeping an eye on. Um, we should talk a little bit about you know what it looks like on the ground here for the U.S. men's national team. They are training at Algarafa Stadium, which is in northern Doha, uh, about, what, like five minutes from their hotel? Is that, is no, that it's right? About, it's about a 15 to 20 minute 15 drive. 15 to 20 minutes from, okay, five minutes from the International Broadcast Center, which we picked up our credentials at on Monday, which is kind of this gleaming convention center, uh, very fancy and, and nice looking with weird giant sculptures of spiders that were mildly terrifying. Um, so they are training at this stadium, which is, a, is the home to one of the clubs in the Qatar Stars League. 
Um, the former home of Paolo Wanchop. Yes, think. yes, we cannot forget. I educated that. I educated Paul on that yesterday. So I don't, I don't know. I feel like you should be a little embarrassed. That I'm a huge. I, I was Wan- teaching you things. I'm a about huge Wanchop fan. You know, I, I was called Wanchop in my 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 youth days because he's a Costa Rican legend. And, you know, <laughs> basically the only Costa Rican player some people know. Uh, but a huge one show fan, so it's a thrill to be working uh, out of a stadium to, to walk the works. same ground right. that he once walked. That's yes, right. um, but the facility is nice. It's a pretty simple stadium. It's just like a regular bowl. It's twenty-two thousand seats. There's not like luxury suites or anything. There's only a small section of it that's covered. The field looked fantastic, um, and U.S. Soccer shipped in a lot of gym equipment. They have a gym on site. The club does. But Greg Berhalter wanted the U.S.'s gym to be open air. Uh, so there's a lot of gym equipment on the sideline that's closest to the locker rooms. We saw five players using some of those machines. On the ellipticals. On the ellipticals, yes. They have ellipticals and stationary bikes right there on the sideline. Um, so some of the guys that played extensively over the weekend, Tyler Adams, Brendan Aronson, Tim Ream, Anthony Robinson, Josh Sargent, were off to the side for the portion of training that was open to us, just doing regenerative well, I think I messed that up. Regen work. Simplify. Uh, so that was that was a note from training. There were four players who were not there on Monday. Weston McKenney, Serginho Dest, Tim Weah, and Haji Wright. Now, those players arrived last night. We know that because they arrived at the same time in the airport as John Strong. That is now two reporters who have happened to <laughs> arrive at the same time as American players and get made. Donnie Nora was there late in the night at the same time Christian Which Pulisic and just, the, the UK contingent was arriving. It's such a weird thing about this World Cup because normally these teams would have their two, three-week camps and they all fly in on charters together. They're not going through the public airport wherever they're arriving. But here it's Christian Pulisic. He's flying first class. Don't get it twisted. But he's just flying in from London, Heathrow potentially, into Doha, and he can be on a regular flight with regular people, and, and all of a sudden it's like, okay, there's a $73 million transfer who's got the hopes of a country's World Cup dreams on his shoulders <laughs> on my plane. That's kind of weird, but another strange dynamic at this World Cup. So those four were not there uh, in training on Monday. Uh, we did talk to Greg Berhalter about Weston McKenney. He obviously has not played since October 29th for Juventus, de- dealing with a with an injury, a muscle injury. Uh, Berhalter expects him to train in full on Tuesday, so that's a positive sign, I think, for U.S. fans. We'll talk a little bit more about his status uh, later in the show. Um, Sergino Dest played on Sunday night for AC Milan. Tim Weah played on Sunday for Lille. I didn't play, but... Dest, he team. played. Did Dest play? Yeah, he got in the game. Right. And Haji Wright did not play, and this is a sad, kind of d- scary story. Um his team in Turkey was scheduled to play Besiktas in Istanbul, but there was a, a big bomb that went off in Istanbul, uh, alleged attack that killed, I think last I saw, at least six people and injured dozens and dozens, nearly 100. Um, so that game got canceled, and he came uh, presumably from Istanbul to Doha in the aftermath of that. So a little bit scary news for Haji Wright, but he is here and safe in Doha at this time, so that is positive. Um, so yeah, the facility looked good. You know, I, I'm always fascinated and I don't know if anyone will care about this, but consuming past world cup coverage, just what everything looks like. So I don't know. Do you want to lay out like what the media setup was for folks? Well, I just want to start by saying also just to give an insight into kind of how the U S ended up at the facility. Basically the way it works with FIFA and at world cups is that they created a list of venues and those venues, those training centers were linked to hotels. 
So when you picked your training facility, you were also picking your hotel or vice versa, whichever one you prioritize. And that process didn't kind of start. Weird. Yeah, it didn't start when you qualify. It starts way before that. So the work that started on what the U.S. was doing here in Qatar actually started way back in 2017 and 18 when the U.S. failed to qualify for Russia. Probably before they even failed to qualify They, they for were Russia. starting to do some work on what the facilities looked like in Qatar. And the funny thing is, when they first started to make visits to Qatar, the Federation, the employees, Tom King, um, a lot of these venues weren't built yet. Like the hotels weren't built. The <laughs> weren't even close to being They built. weren't constructed yet. They were just a twinkle in someone's eye. So it was in... <laughs> Supreme Committee. It was in 2019 that Greg Burt, September of 2019, Greg Burhalter came out on a trip. He visited uh, several of the facilities that Tom King had already scouted. September 2019. September so, of 2019. So that's why they got smoked at Canada in October 2019, maybe, huh? Maybe. Maybe. The eyes were the eyes were cast on not Qatar. not on the ball. Um, and Burhalter toured the stadium, toured the hotels, and and ultimately, it sounds like his eye was more on the training facility and wanting to make sure they had the best possible training facility. Um, and, and they ended up at a stadium that had the infrastructure, had the locker rooms, all of those things in place and had a really nice field. So that's how us soccer ended up at that facility. Um, for us as media, yeah, we have a, we have a workroom there, uh, at the stadium. We have uh, access to a workroom at that big convention center that Sam was talking about. We were there yesterday waiting in a long line, about an hour or so yeah, to 45. get our, to get our, um, press passes. I think those, that line will continue to grow. Felipe probably was around the one, same, same one weight. cool note about that line. We, we were just standing there with, with some of the other media members who cover the U S team. And we look over and we see Tab Ramos. Uh, who does work for Telemundo, and who is he standing with? It's Diego Forlan. And uh, so it's just kind of a crazy thing who you bump into at yeah, a World Cup. Just a reminder that you're going to be constantly surrounded by, like, former global soccer stars. And, yeah. and you know, that's... By the, the way, his hair, not as blonde as I remember it. You know, he also is a, a little bit smaller than I pictured him. I was saying to... I don't even remember who, to maybe Donnie Nora. I was just saying, like, I... You know, Forlan was such an intimidating presence on the field. I expected him to be like a little bit bigger, like muscular. He's very skinny. Well, he's a little you know, he's small. Been, he's been retired for a while. Maybe but, he's not hitting the gym as hard. But as I said, he still looked like he will rip your head off if you challenge him. <laughs> I, would, I would still not go uh, and challenge Diego Forlan. Um, but yeah, it, it was, uh, you know, what I, I think what I noticed right away off the bat is just like the thing that I expected and loved. Like when I was waiting in line with Donnie Nora, uh, we met some Indian. Donnie Nora, of course, is from Today NA. He's our buddy. Um, you can watch him on Two Day NA yes. throughout the World Cup. We, and we might make do some so. appearances on Two Day NA. Yeah, see, Sam's going to be speaking Spanish on TV, baby. <laughs> we love it. Um, I just and, called myself Sam. Yeah, you. We're, we're going into a whole new territory here on uh, on allocation <laughs> disorder. Mike, edit um, that out. <laughs> but uh, don't edit that out, Mike. Um, but we, yeah, we were talking in line with two with some Indian reporters that were in front of us. They had traveled from India. They were at their first World Cup. Super excited to to be there. So it, you just you you make connections with people from all over the world um, around this this wonderful wonderful beautiful game that we cover. Um, and I think you know we'll try from here in Qatar to kind of tell some of those stories about the people we're encountering, um, the different things that we see at the stadiums where we're going to work. We're going to cover. Obviously, every U.S. game, Sam's going to go to a couple Canada games. I'm going to a Costa Rica game. I'm going to try to get into a game as a fan. I don't know if that's going to happen. It's been kind of hard to get tickets. Yeah. Um, but uh, hopefully we can give you a pretty good idea of what it's like on the ground in Qatar. Yep, absolutely. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Um, Paul, the team, U.S. team is training again on Tuesday. We are talking with, who are we talking with? Matt Turner, Kellen Acosta, Tim Weah, and who am I blanking on? Josh Sargent. So we'll, we'll get some insight from them on a few things. Uh, They're also doing kind of a, I don't know what I would call it, a community event, I guess. Uh, The US players are going to be leading and coaching some migrant workers in a training session at the US training facility on Tuesday evening. So that'll be kind of hopefully a cool event. We're gonna be there at it is the plan. Um, Also, I think a big topic will be the temperature, be the weather. Uh, We were out of training yesterday. It was at 2 p.m. So kind of the, the height of the heat. And, and temperature was what, high 80s? Yeah, I would say high 80s, low 90s. Yeah. It was hot. It was hot, but it wasn't overwhelming. You know, I was looking out there on the field, and I, I happened to catch Jesus Ferreira in my field of vision. And I was like, Jesus Ferreira trains in worse weather than this every single day for months on end in Dallas. Every single day. So I think for the U.S. players, many of whom trained through the summer in MLS, or pretty much all of whom grew up playing through the summer in the United States, this won't be that much of an issue. Yeah, this isn't this isn't Virginia humidity in the middle of the summer. Virginia okay? humidity. Well, that's what I grew up playing in. That's oh, okay. all I'm saying. Well, that's we're, the only we're thing. We're talking that about tough guys. Then let's talk about this tough guy right here. <laughs> okay. okay. <laughs> no, I think I think look, it might be a little bit challenging in the early goings for someone like Anthony Robinson and Tim Ream who are playing at Fulham right now. There's going to be a little adjustment Whoa, period. Tim Ream, St. Louis humidity. Come on, man. Well, you know he hasn't been there in a while, right? Tim Ream. <laughs> Tim Ream is like one year away. That gets from in your like bones. That, that, that half. English accent that's like half St. Louis, half English accent. Yeah. Like bad pizza all the way around, no matter how you look at it. Toasted Ravs? What's an English equivalent of toasted ravioli? Beans on toast? 
Toasted beans ravioli. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, but of course the U.S. will be playing at 10 p.m. All of their games in the group stage are at 10 p.m. local. It's a much different vibe, much different temperature than the sun is down. The sun, by the way, when it goes down at 5 p.m., it goes down. It is like five minutes. It goes from light to absolutely dark. Not a lot of twilight. Not a twilight happening. Not a lot of twilight. Um, So, you know, I I don't think that heat's going to be too big of an issue in the group stage at all. No, me either. Uh, Paul. We are, what, six days away from the opener against Wales. Uh, they then play England on November 25th, and of course, Iran on November 29th. There are all kinds of things going on with Iran and their team. Um, they named Osmore to the roster. There was some controversy about that because he's been outspoken about some of the things that the regime is doing there, and the government reportedly didn't want him on the team. So that's going to be a story to watch as they move through the tournament could potentially positively impact the U.S., I think, maybe in in that third group stage game, potentially. We'll see. Long way to go before that. What's one big thing that you're thinking about for the rest of of this week, Paul? I think for me, it's the one big question I have of who's starting. I guess there's a couple, there's probably three question marks on the starting lineup in my mind, winger, uh, the number eight, and center back. So I, I'm going to keep my eye, especially on center back. Is it going to be a Tim Ream Walker Zimmerman pairing? Because if it is, you're probably playing a little bit differently defensively. You're probably playing in a bit of a lower defensive or mid defensive block. You're not going to play as high of a line. Do you think that's the right move against a team like Wales? That's going to sit deep and look to hit on the break. I, I don't, I think that that could be the first one game where we see a long pairing, not just because Wales doesn't want to have the ball and does like to sit low. So, you know, they had like 43% possession or whatever during yeah. the European qualification cycle, but also that a lot of the way that they score goals or like to score goals is on set pieces. Kiefer Moore is a big man. Um, you know, you, you want somebody who's really good at aerial duels in the game. That's one of Aaron Long's strengths. It's one of Tim Ream's weaknesses. So I could see Aaron Long starting situationally. I am going to keep my eye on that. I had a hard time not reading into the uniform numbers that got announced. Like it <laughs> felt like all the starters were in the numbers you expected. The two center backs, uh, Tim Ream was 13, Aaron well, Long was 15. Only one center back Left with a number awesome. under... 13. Well, that's, that's you know, that, that's just because attacking players have more of the, the good numbers. They got there. more of the yeah, juice. They get, they get more juice. So, well, usually get, you know, four, three and four for, for the center backs. Yeah, but Tyler Adams likes to wear four, so that messed everything up. Well. Um, so, anyways, we'll see. That, I'm keeping my eye on that. I'm, I'm very, very interested to see the choice that gets made there because, again, you've got a guy, Tim Ream, who's starting in the Premier League, who's playing well, um, and... You know, Aaron Long hasn't played in a while, wasn't playing great. I I don't know. I don't know what Greg Berhalter does. So that, for me, is the big question I'm going to try to figure out over the course of this week. I'm sure Greg Berhalter will be very transparent about who he's starting in the World Cup in the opening game. Yeah, he'll probably tell us the lineup. Yeah, just, just, hey, Greg, who are you starting? You know, that'll be (laughs) We should ask. We should ask that. He has told us the lineup before. You know, he likes to, like, give it out in little drips, you know? Yeah. So we'll we'll push on that. But that, for me, is is the thing I'm going to try to figure out and decipher via, like, who Greg Berhalter is having conversations with in the first 15 minutes of training (laughs) when we're there. (laughs) Joe Scally. Only Joe Scally and Sean Johnson. That's it. Uh, I will obviously, of course, be looking at the center back stuff as well. Striker, I think another area to keep an eye on. Jesus Ferreira, to your numerical analysis point. Has the number nine. Curious to see if he gets it out over Josh Sargent, who picked up a little bit of an injury knock in the game that Norwich played over the weekend. We'll ask him about that later on Tuesday. But my big question is revolves around Weston McKenney. Like we said earlier in the show, he hasn't played in more than two weeks now. 
for Juventus. Berhalter said that he returned to full team training for them over the weekend. And like we said, plan is for him to train in full on Tuesday with the U.S. He doesn't have, you know, the game minutes under his belt recently, but it's only a two-week layoff, so that shouldn't be the end of the world. Will he be fit enough to start? That's a major question to me. The other major question, should he start? against Wales. And I'm going to kind of explore this, hopefully in an article later in the week, but with the way Brendan Aronson is playing at Leeds, with the way that Wales is expected to sit deep with kind of the differing skill sets between McKenney and Aronson, I wouldn't hate it if Aronson got the nod at that eight and Musa dropped a little bit deeper uh, and assisted Adams in buildup and, and Aronson was playing a little bit higher up. And then, of course, there's the Gio Reyna question, too. Could we see him potentially as a 10 in a game like this? That seems like it might be a bridge too far, Yeah. but I'm curious. I think it goes also, I mean, depending on how deep we, we're going to go down this rabbit hole, which it's the World Cup, so we're going to explore every angle of this. Um, it goes back to that idea of, like, Wales being effective on set pieces and good on set pieces. They, they've scored a lot of goals that way. You know, Weston McKinney is one of the best players for the U.S. on set pieces, both yeah. defensively and attacking. So That's not how, Brendan Aronson's game. <laughs> no. So how much will Burhalter weigh that? Because you're going to have, especially if you start Tim Ream, then you've got Walker Zimmer. Are you also not starting Weston McKinney? Are you taking two guys out of the, the mm-hmm. lineup who are, are good um, in, a, in duels uh, in the air? So. Yeah. Uh, we'll see. It, there are all sorts of these types of decisions and equations you have to consider. If you're Greg Berhalter, are you going to be on the front foot and making putting that sub in with Aronson saying, look, you know, Weston McKinney's probably 55 minutes fit right now or 65 minutes fit, but we want him coming off the bench for 30 minutes of full go and maybe he can get on the end of a header or make one of those runs late into the box that he's so well known for and we're going to have Aronson run like crazy for an hour and, and yep. push and press. Or you go the other way around and say, listen, we want to make sure we have guys who can win balls in the air uh, in midfield that can win balls in the air on defensive set pieces. And then when Weston hits that number at 60, 65, we bring Aronson in to run like crazy and try to push the game and get the goal for us. So, you know, which one is better? I don't know. What There's a lot to think about. With, a lot of different permutations, a lot of different factors. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, I do want to note, Sam, you mentioned uh, Jesus Ferrer wearing the nine. Um Credit to Jeff Crandall at ussoccer.com. He went through the World Cup history of uniform numbers. I think it's a story worth reading. Um, you know, you, you think to yourself of, like, who are the nines who have starred for the U.S. at the World Cup? I think McBride like, didn't wear nine. McBride never wore nine. Was so he like, 20? The nines that, that have been in the, the past World Cups that, since 1990, Christopher Sullivan, Tab Ramos wore the nine in 1994. Joe Max Moore wore the nine twice in 98 and 2002. Eddie Johnson wore the number nine in 2006, Herc Herc Gomez in 2010, and Aaron Johansson in 2014. So it's not, you know, in fact, I'm looking at this and I don't, I don't see one number nine having scored a goal at a World Cup for the U.S. There's, Tab Ramos had one assist in 1994. Tab never scored a goal at a World Cup. Not wearing the number nine in 1994. Okay. But, you know, when you look at this also, the last four number nines played 47 minutes, 74 minutes, 84 minutes, and 67 minutes at World Cup. So it's kind of interesting that the number nine <laughs> hasn't been like a pure, like you are knighted and you are our number nine well, up I top. Think, I think that sort of just goes to show, Paul, like 
the numbers don't really mean anything. What, well, did, what did Josie Altidore wear in 2014? 17, 17. Yeah, right? that's his number. Dempsey was always wearing eight. eight. Yeah. Right? So, like, they just have these numbers but in this that they case, gravitate to. in this case, there's not a, not, not a clear number nine and no one that's kind of, like, wearing out-of-the-box numbers. You know what I mean? Like, You know, it's, it's, I always kind of liked this part about American teams, about how they, the numbers were so random compared to the rest of the world. Because you have this numerical system for positions that a lot of teams adhere to. And... U.S. teams never did that. You had Brian McBride rocking number twenty, just because like that's the number they liked. It seems like we're moving away from that, and I don't. I don't think I like it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, look. I, I also think it's it's notable. Christian Pulisic wearing the ten. That is that is certainly significant. Sure. Landon Donovan wore the ten in twenty ten. Scored three goals for the U.S. Twenty fourteen. Mixed Discarud wore the number ten. So I think <laughs> you know it's uh, a little bit different. The lineage. <laughs> Donovan Discarud Pulisic. Claudio. It was like Vermees. Uh. Then you Vermees, Vermees in '90, Wagerly in '94, then you you tab in '98. Peter Vermees, a classic ten. Claudio Reyna, <laughs> Claudio Reyna, Landon Donovan, mixed Discarude, and well, now Christian Pulisic. Mix so. did take Landon's spot on the roster. So go check out the story on US Soccer. Jeff Crandall does a really good job, and and I found it interesting just to go through. Paul, you're like you're like Nicolas Cage in National Treasure right now with this numerology, man. Uh, for sure, I'm great I'm, movie like, by the way. Of all the things I have to worry about, this is this is. Should not be anywhere near the top. You should see the wall in Paul's bedroom in this apartment. He's just scribbled numbers all over it. It's going to be a week. I don't think we're getting our security deposit back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're definitely not after Felipe's visit. Anyways. Uh, Anyways, we'll be back later in the week with a full kind of nuts and bolts in the weeds granular preview of not just the Wales game, but the entire group stage for the u.s that episode should be coming out on friday i believe is the plan um but we just kind of wanted to record this one to give you guys a sense of the vibe here in qatar uh and a sense of the the feeling among the u.s men's national team uh we will of course be recording frequently throughout the tournament we will be writing a ton throughout the tournament uh and if you haven't already you still have plenty of time before the wales game to go listen to From Kuva to Qatar, remaking the U.S. Men's National Team, our five-episode podcast series about this team and its journey to this World Cup. I would also encourage you to, you know, read our articles, subscribe to The Athletic, uh, make our bosses think that we're awesome, all that sort of stuff. Uh, Thank you for supporting us. Uh, We mean it, sincerely. And yeah, we'll be back soon.